Thanks for listening to our sermons from Southbridge Fellowship. For additional resources or service information, visit us online at sfchurch.com. Good morning, Southbridge. How you guys doing? Missing the extra hour of sleep? Some of you guys are like, no, I just came to second service. <laughs> Hashtag winning. Um, okay, so let's, uh, let's address the elephant in the room. It's a greenhouse, yeah. It is a sermon prop for today. Uh, no, I couldn't think of a, a bigger sermon prop. Um, yes, uh, it was difficult to set up. Um, I know it takes up half the stage and it's blocking a few people's view over there. And I did just buy it for this sermon. I plan on taking it back afterwards. So I don't know. Amazon's got a great return policy. So, um, But why? why? Why do I have a visual illustration? Is because God seems to speak to me in visual ways, in ways that I can relate to. And today, as we continue in our Upside Down series, I want to share with you an illustration of what it looks like to live in the kingdom of God. That's the ruling and reigning of God while we're here on earth. And we're going to be looking at a teaching that Jesus gave during his Sermon on the Mount, and this is a concept that if we could truly tap into and we could truly walk out, it would completely destroy and explode our normal and natural approach to life. That's why my sermon title today is TNT. Some ACDC for you guys. Come on now. Turn, turn to your neighbor and say, I'm dynamite. <laughs> okay, TNT. Don't worry, I'm not going to like explode the greenhouse or anything like that. It's TNT because it stands for treasure and trust. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. So let's pray. Um, Lord God, we just love you and we praise you. We thank you that we can just come together as a body in this place and that we can just worship you, that the veil has been torn and we have direct access to you, Lord. Will you just have your way uh, this service, Lord? Just pray that the Holy Spirit will be all up in this place, that you'll just prepare our hearts to hear from you. Um, use my words, Lord God, to, to speak uh, your words, Lord. Ultimately, uh, that's what we want. We want to hear from you. And so will you do that today? We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Today we're going to be continuing in the book of Matthew. That's the first book of the New Testament. And we're going to be in chapter 6, starting at verse 19. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. While you guys do that, I want to share with you a quick story that I read this past week. And it was about John Wesley. Um, If you don't know who John Wesley was, he was an English cleric, theologian, evangelist. And he was the leader in a revival movement through the Church of England. He said some great quotes. One of them that he said was, do all the good you can by all the means you can, in all the ways you can, in all the places you can, at all the times you can, to all the people you can, for as long as you can. And I I love that quote. But that's not the story. The story I read this week was that one day when John Wesley was away from his house, he was somewhere in town, somebody came running up to him and they were shouting, John, your house has burned down, your house has burned down. Now John stopped and he replied, he said, no it hasn't. Because I don't own a house. The house that I'm living in is is the Lord's. And if it has burned down, well, that's just one less responsibility for me to worry about. Short story, but it says so much. 
Let me ask you guys, if, if somebody ran up to you today, let's say somebody burst through those doors and ran up to you and said, your house is burned down, your house is burned down, how many of us can say that we would respond the way that John responded? Me and my wife, a couple of weeks ago, when this crazy hurricane slash tornado thing, I don't know what it was, it was just wind, really, but he basically, it took down a tree in our backyard and it landed on our house. So I got a phone call, my wife was on the phone, she was like under the stairs in the pantry, this wind's coming through and she pokes her head out and she's on the phone with me and she's like, Scott, there's a tree in our house. Thankfully, it wasn't in our house. It was just lent up against the roof. Anyway, long story short, I feel like I responded pretty chill to that situation. I was just kind of like, hey, there's not a whole lot I can do. And so we just rolled with it. However, if my wife called me and said, Scott, our house has burned down, I can't say that I would respond the same way. I'd, I'd be stressing out and worrying, thinking of all the stuff that I've got to do, all the stuff that I'd feel like I'd have to buy again. I'd be worrying about what's next. Uh, is my insurance going to come cover it? I don't know. When I, when I pay for house insurance, I don't know what I'm getting with house insurance. It's just like I'm paying for it. And then when we make the phone call, I'm like, is this covered? <laughs> and, and it's just one of those things. But it'd be this, these are the things I'd be going through in my mind is like, I'd be thinking about all the stuff that I've lost. I'd be thinking about my prized possessions and the things that I've treasured are now gone. But Jesus in Matthew 6 says, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also." He then goes on to say, no one can serve two masters, for either he will hate one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Pastor Scott last week uh, did a sermon on fasting. If you haven't caught that message, make sure to go back online and watch it. It was an amazing message. Anyway, during it, he said, you've probably never heard a sermon devoted entirely to fasting. He said something along the lines of, you've probably heard a sermon on faith. You've probably heard a sermon on forgiveness. You've probably heard a sermon on money. And if you haven't heard a sermon on money, welcome. You're about to hear one today. Because here's the truth, is 16 out of 38 parables that Jesus tells deals with money. One out of 10 verses in the New Testament deals with money. Scripture offers about 500 verses on prayer, fewer than 500 on faith, and over 2,000 on money. But we don't like talking about money in church. It gets a little awkward, right? But believers, our attitude towards money and possessions is detrimentative. You see, money is amoral. Money is not good or it's not evil. However, money is a good indicator to our true motive and heart. Jesus said no one can serve two masters for he'll either hate one or love the other or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. It's true. However, you can serve God with your money. It's ultimately a question of devotion. If you love God more than money, you'll use your money to serve God and people. If you love money more than God, you'll use God and people to serve your pursuit of money. Jesus is getting at your heart today. He's not concerned with your money. He doesn't need your money. He's concerned with the health 
of your heart. And, and it's not just money. Yes, there is this sense that if we're giving our money to the things of God, we're investing it into heavenly things, to things that are eternal. But it's also the fulfillment of God's purpose in all that we do. It's not just money. It's your possessions. It's your relationships. It's your time. It's your talent. However, Jesus in this verse is specifically addressing money because money is a great heart test. You know, we have technology now that we, we can do a test on our heart. We can do like an MRI scan on our heart and we can see how it's forming, how it's functioning, if it's healthy, if it's not healthy. And, and that's how we can check our physical heart. Now, there is also a spiritual heart test, which is also an MRI, but it stands for Money Reveals Idols. You guys like that one? I was pretty proud of that. You know, I came up with it all by myself. But it's true. You want to know the condition of your heart? Follow your money. Follow your treasure. It will reveal your idols. So the question is, where are you laying up your treasures? So this is where I want to introduce you guys to the greenhouse. You see, we're part of two worlds. There's the earthly world and then there's the heavenly world, the kingdom of God. And we as believers are part of both worlds. We're on the earth, but we're not of the earth. We, our, our home is the kingdom of God. And so just for the sake of this illustration, I want you to imagine that this greenhouse is the kingdom of God. Use your imagination. Like This is not what the kingdom of God's going to look like. Like, seriously, this is, this is what I've been waiting for? No, just use your imagination, okay? Um, so this is the kingdom of God. And while we're here on earth, we have two places in which we can invest our treasures. We can invest our treasures in the kingdom of God, or we can invest them outside of the kingdom of God. And so the question is, where are you storing up your treasures? If you take a look at your life right now, how much of time and stuff is spent and is invested in things outside the kingdom or inside the kingdom? Because you see, the things inside the kingdom have eternal value and purpose. The things outside of the kingdom will eventually waste and rust away. And rust is a, is a terrible thing. Um, me and my wife, for those of you that don't know, are currently converting a school bus into a tiny home. And so we know the destructiveness of what rust can do. Okay, so we're spending so much time trying to prevent this thing from rusting. We're covering this thing with rust-oleum. We're covering all the cracks and the, and the holes and stuff. So this school bus doesn't rust. Because we have friends that have done this process. And like a year down the road, the whole bus is falling apart because of rust. It's eaten away at the entire things where they're literally having to replace huge portions of their vehicle, their bus. Why? Because eventually rust will eat away at everything. The truth is things of this earth will eventually rust away and need replacing. Because you see treasures outside of the kingdom is susceptible to destruction and will ultimately be destroyed. However, things in the kingdom are protected. That's why I use the illustration of a greenhouse because if you go on Google right now and say, what is the purpose of a greenhouse? It will say this, the purpose of a greenhouse is to shield crops from excess cold or heat and unwanted pests. A greenhouse shields and protects, just like the kingdom. The things that are in the kingdom are 
protected. So how do we invest our treasures into the kingdom? It's all about being more concerned with doing the things that Christ has called us to do rather than being consumed with creating comforts for ourselves. It's when you use your money, your resources, for a greater purpose than yourself. What a person does with their money reveals what is in their heart. Now let me just take some time to pause and clarify. I want you guys to know that Jesus is not against money. He's not against people being rich. Both testaments, old and new, recognize the right to material possessions. That's including money, land, animals, houses, clothing, and every other thing that is honestly, honestly been the key word, acquired. God even made promises of material blessing to those who are faithful to him. Yes, we're commanded to be generous and to give, but he also expects us, even commands us, not only to be thankful, but to enjoy the blessings that he gives us, including material blessings. 1 Timothy 6, verses 17 says, Command those who are rich in this present world to not be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is uncertain, but to put their hope in God. You see, there's nothing wrong with being rich. Jesus isn't about you being wrong with being rich. He said, but don't be arrogant with it. Don't put your trust or hope in it. He goes on to say, whoever richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. God wants us to enjoy the things that he's blessed us with. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. This is what we are called to. Also, just to go along to the point that God wants us to enjoy things, in the Old Testament there was this thing called a festival or a feast tithe, which was basically 10% of income put aside for basically celebratory acts of like celebrating festivals, feasts that God ordained. And so I want you guys to know that God is, I'm not, I'm not here saying like money's evil, get rid of it all. God wants us to enjoy these things. Jesus is not against savings. He's not against 401ks or having money to take care of your family. In fact, I read a verse this week that actually, again, encourages us to steward money well to look after people. It says, 1 Timothy 5, 8 says, which is a harsh verse, it says, anybody who does not provide for their relatives and especially their own household has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Like, that's, that's heavy. But the question is, is what are we doing with our money? Are we just storing it up for ourselves to make us feel good or are we actually using it for a purpose? You see, Jesus is not advocating poverty here as a means of spirituality, but he is advocating obedience. Jesus is asking, who do you serve? What do you treasure the most? Your most cherished possession and your deepest motives and desires are inseparable. There is a fundamental connection between our spiritual lives and how we think and handle our money. In Luke 3, when the people were asking John the Baptist how to experience spiritual transformation, he replies and telling them three things. The first one he says is anybody who has two shirts should share with him who has none, and anyone who has food should do the same. He told the tax collectors, don't collect any more than you're required to, and he told the soldiers, don't extort money and don't ex- uh, accuse people falsely. Be content with your pay. What I love about this is the people were asking about their spiritual condition, and John replied with three answers that were about possessions and finances. Why? 
Because one of the most reliable indicators to our spiritual condition is our attitude towards material possession. Whether you're rich or poor or somewhere in between, if you're rich, you might always crave more money, like enough's just never enough, you always want more. Or you might feel like, well, I feel like I can trust and I can rest at ease, now I can have peace because I have X amount of money. If you're poor, there might be this desire that if I can get more money, then I'll be content, then I can live at peace. Either way, wherever you are on the spectrum, that is not trusting in our God as your source. You see, when things hit the fan, when things go wrong, do we run to him, do we run to worship, or do we run to worry? What are you trusting in? Because your treasure and trust go hand in hand. You want to know a way we can measure our treasure? Okay, one person, cool, (laughs) awesome. You want to know a way that we can measure our treasure, how we can determine what is most important or who is most important? Turn to your neighbor sat next to you and ask them, do you want to know? And then tell them it's the first person you turn to. Tell them it's the first person you turn to. Yeah, now turn to the next person and apologize for not turning to them first. It's true. Our trust is what we go to first. When things go wrong, when things are out of our control, what are we running to? Are we running to our finances? Are we running to people? Or are we running to God? Because what we treasure in, our trust and treasure go hand in hand. That is why Jesus said, after talking so much about money and treasure, he says, therefore I tell you, don't worry about your life, what you will eat, drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Jesus said, therefore... He said, if you have your treasure in the right place, that's where your trust will be. If you have your trust in the right place, you have no reason to worry. He then goes on to say, is not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they are? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? That's right, amen. And why do you worry about clothes? See the flowers of the fields, they do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. If that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and thrown in the fire tomorrow, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, what shall we drink, what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows you need them. But seek first the kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Now, you got to keep in mind, the, the people that Jesus was talking to right here are probably people that didn't know where the next meal was coming from, and Jesus was here saying, don't worry. A lot of us in this room, we know where our next meal is coming from. Maybe some of you don't, but either way, Jesus is saying, don't worry. Now, our propensity is we might not be worrying about where our next meal is coming from, but we just as a culture have such a propensity to worry. Did you know that 38% of Americans have stopped drinking Corona beer because they think it's linked to the coronavirus? (laughs) Next, they'll think that the Lyme is causing Lyme disease. I don't know. But but it's, it's that idea we're just so afraid, we're so worrying, and we try to control everything, which in turn makes us worry. Now, it's not that 
we become careless. It's not that we don't take precautions to certain things. It's not that we stop using common sense. But ultimately, we are called to trust that Christ is in control. And this is what I was talking about. When, when I said that this is a concept that if we could truly tap into and walk out, it would completely destroy and explode our natural and normal approach to life. Imagine this. If we could walk through life without worry. Imagine if we could walk through life without worry. But worry comes so easily to us. And the truth is, our worry comes from a lack of trust. Do we trust in the Lord to take care of our daily needs, or do we feel like we need to step up and take control into our own hands? Now, don't get it twisted. This doesn't mean that you don't have to work, right? It doesn't mean that you just got to sit back and don't have to do anything, and oh, God's going to provide for everything. No, it's, we're still called to work, but we're called to work without worry. Jesus is not suggesting that the birds don't do anything to feed themselves, they are diligent and persistent in forging for food. Many birds spend a great amount of energy and time to find food for themselves, but they don't worry where their next meal is coming from. You see, planning for tomorrow is productive. Worrying about tomorrow is a waste. You can tweet that one. You and I are called to refuse to worry, we're called to refuse anxiety. You see, worry is a waste. Nothing good is ever added by worry. You can worry yourself to death. You can't worry yourself to life. Worry doesn't accomplish or achieve anything, and it won't change your circumstances. Someone after first service came up to me and said, worry is like rocking in a, in a rocking chair. It, it, it doesn't go anywhere, but it gives you something to do. And it's like, it's so true. It's like, we're not, worry's not gaining anything but we just feel this need to worry. But it won't change your circumstances. And so instead, we as believers are called to seek first the kingdom of God. Now this passage does not indicate that if we seek first the kingdom of God, all the things we worry about will be fixed. No, it doesn't. Jesus says, therefore, don't worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. You see, each day is still going to be full of trouble. It's not all just going to be fixed because we seek first the kingdom of God. But it does mean that we can have the surety necessary to keep in perspective the power of God over our lives. What does this mean? It means that you can walk through life even in the hard, tough, challenging, scary circumstances and not respond the way that the world would because you have a different perspective. You're living for the kingdom you're not living for this earth, which may seem a little upside down to everybody else, but it's actually the right way up because you've got your eyes fixed upon the kingdom and not on the earth. You see, if you type in Google, what's the purpose of a greenhouse? It'd say that first thing, and then it'd say, a greenhouse makes it possible to grow certain types of flowers, crops, and fruit all year round. This means that even if it's raining outside, even if winds are coming in, even if it's cold, inside the greenhouse, these fruits can still flourish. That's how the kingdom operates. You can produce fruit all year round regardless of your circumstances. 
Your circumstances don't have to affect you the way they would outside of the kingdom. That means in all circumstances, you can produce love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Living in the kingdom means we don't have to mourn like the world mourns. It means we can have a peace that transcends all logical understanding. It means that even when you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you don't have to fear any evil. It means for us to live is Christ and to die is gain. And I don't want to go down this rabbit hole, but I'm going to go anyway. But I just feel like this is a message that we need to hear today, right now. Because I know I joked earlier about the coronavirus and all this stuff, but it's like this is beginning to worry people. The amount of people that I see that are concerned and worried, and, 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 it, and it's just, I just feel like it's just going to grow, and I feel like God is speaking to us right now as believers and asking us how are we going to respond in those situations. In times of crisis, the world needs people who are strengthened and steady by Christ. Yes, we still be cautious, we still wash our hands. I don't know why it takes the coronavirus to happen for us to wash our hands. Like, just be washing your hands anyway. Like, there's certain precautions that we can take, but understand that worry, worrying about it won't change your circumstances. Worrying about it won't lower your chances of getting infected. In fact, it's probably going to do the exact opposite because of the stress on your body about worrying it'll probably make you more likely to be infected. And so I just, wanna, I just wanted this to be a message right now. I read, I read an article this week, and it said this, talking about this whole, like, how do we as believers respond? And it said this. It said, throughout history, Christians have often stood out because of their willingness to help the sick even during plagues, pandemics, and persecution. They loved people and weren't afraid of death because they understood that to live is Christ and to die is gain. By stepping into the mess of sickness and disease, they were able to demonstrate their faith to a watching world. So rather than just asking, how do I stay healthy? Perhaps we should also ask, how can I help the sick? Let us be quick to help and slow to hide in basements. As Christians, we, we need not to worry like the world, but to trust in Christ and to be confident in him. Again, we be wise, we use common sense, but our ultimate trust is in Christ. And so today, the question is, where are you placing your trust and where are you storing your treasure? And so since you guys lost an hour of sleep today, I'm gonna, gonna start to wrap this thing up. This is where I'm gonna bring this plane into land. You're welcome. Um, but, and, and this is not necessarily like a practical message of like, oh, now go do. Like, oh, we're going to start a capital campaign and hand it around the plates and give money into the kingdom. Like, no. And, and I don't think it's even a practical message to just be like, oh, now go out and don't worry. Like, oh, thanks, man. <laughs> like, if only. But it's, it's more of a reflective thing that I want us just to kind of be encouraged to go away and ask ourselves, like, am I truly trusting in Christ or am I trusting in things? Am I trusting in people? Am I trusting in my money? Where am I storing up my money? Am I making investment? It's more of a reflective time this week just to kind of stop and consider some of those things. As I mentioned earlier, uh, my wife and I are converting a school bus into a tiny home. Uh, you can follow us on YouTube, shameless self-plug. Um, but um, here's the thing is that as we're converting this school bus, um, 
we're going to be literally downsizing into the school bus, which is like 200 square feet. And so a lot of this has kind of forced us to really question, like, what is important to us? There's only so much we can put into this thing. And so it's really making us go through our stuff at our house to really downsize, like, What's, what, what do we need and what's really a want? What's a need, what's a want? What actually has a purpose and what just doesn't serve anything? And it's really forced us into this to consider our things. What do we use on a daily basis? What do we need? And, and it, sometimes it's difficult because for us it's like, oh, but I really want that. And like, how do we let go of these things? And, and for us during this process, it's just kind of been a revealing moment of like, what is truly important to us? Is, is, it, is it the things of God or is it just things that we want to hold on to? And ultimately, for us, if it means having less, pose, uh, less possessions to go to more places, to reach more people, that's, that's what we want. Now, it's still, it's still a difficult battle, which I'm sure it would be for all of us. Now, I'm not saying now go out and downsize your house or anything like that. But what I'm saying is just t- kind of take time to consider is like, what am I truly valuing? Like, can we respond like John Wesley did, like, if our house burned down, like, well, if God wanted it to burn down, he knew about it, like, could we respond that same way? And if not, ask ourselves the question, why? So as you go out this week, just be considering that, and as, if this week you start to worry about certain things, just take time to stop, pause, and reflect, and ask yourself, where is this worry coming from? Because it's not coming from Christ, amen?